0: This episode is sponsored by Blinkist.
1: Now, one of our favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. In that, he talks about the Eisenhower matrix, which is like a decision matrix of the type of tasks, the type of activities that you do. And it splits them up in urgent versus important. We spend so much time in the urgent quadrants, we're thinking about all the things that we have to do right now, whether it's replying to that email, answering that phone call, completing that end of month report, we're so caught up in the urgent that we never really cross across into the things that are not so urgent, but are vitally important. And one of those things that is the perfect mix of not urgent, but important is learning. And Blinkist is a great way that you can learn more in less time.
0: Because Blinkist is for anyone who really cares about learning but doesn't have a lot of time. What it does, it takes the key ideas and insights from over 4,000 non-fiction bestsellers in more than 27 categories and puts them into 15-minute text and audio explainers. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash what you will learn to start a free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com forward slash what you will learn.
1: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton,
0: and my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best bits of the defining decade by Meg Jay. Why your twenties matter and how to make the most of it.
1: Why your twenties matter and how to make the most of it, mate. How old are you? Twenty nine and three hundred sixty <laughs> or so days, I guess. <laughs> mate, well, you're about to hit thirty this week, so I just wanted to read this book just before you left your twenties, just to make sure that you made the most of them. How do you reckon you went?
0: Might have a lot of shit to do in the next five days. <laughs> nah, Too I th- good. I think I did all right, mate. I'll give myself about a six and a half, seven. Oh, no. First half of my 20s, short, probably a probably a, probably a mm. probably a negative six. <laughs> and then the second half came home a bit stronger.
1: Nice. <laughs> Too good. Well, Meg Jay says that... The key lesson is that your 20s matter. You know, everywhere we, people are thinking, oh, your 20s don't matter so much. It's just the beginning. It's still time to have fun. You're only just finding your feet in the world. You can sort of put off some of the major things until, you, until your 30s. But she says that two-thirds of your lifetime wage growth happens in the first 10 years of your career. More than half the people are married or at least they're dating or living with their future partner by age 30. And your personality changes more in your 20s than in any other period of time in your life. She
0: says 80% of your life's defining moments are going to happen by the time you hit mid-30. I think that is the case for a lot of people if they, if they went to university, it's graduation, it's finding that first partner, it's marriage, it's buying your first asset or a house or anything like that. So a lot of your big moments happen in this period.
1: That's it. Meg says that this book, whilst it's pitched at people in their 20s, it's also very important for people who are either parents of 20-somethings or teachers or coaches or mentors or bosses of 20-somethings or anybody who was 20 once in their life, which I guess is a good way to sell a book. It's mm. not just for 20-year-olds, it's for everybody. Bit of a shoehorn, though. <laughs> she says that, but I think it really is just for people in their 20s. <laughs> this, is, um, uh, this is I'll throw myself under the bus here. And Jones, man, if you, if you think back to Season 3, the word serendipity was used a lot mm. just after you read The Black Swan. And then season four, the word optionality, I reckon you used every second episode as well. I reckon season five could be my turn. I reckon the intention or intentionality is a word that I reckon could come up a lot for me. I really like that idea of intentionality that came out of this book. So if mm. you've heard me saying it a lot recently or you'll be hearing me say it a lot in the, in the future, it's thanks to Big Meg J.
0: Yeah, interesting. I don't even... Honestly, I don't remember what the
1: word serendipity really means. <laughs> as soon as you read Black Swan, I reckon... Positive serendipity, I understand <laughs>
0: yeah. that, but serendipity by itself.
1: <laughs> I reckon nine of the next 10 episodes after the Black Swan, you said serendipity.
0: So it is the critical period of your life. In work, the jobs we have in our 20s can be the most professionally and economically consequential jobs we'll ever have. In terms of love, our relationship choices in our 20s are pivotal. And in brain and body, the brain is still developing into the 20s. So, the wiring we're putting in now sets up for adulthood and we hit peak fertility rates as well. We, not me being a male, <laughs>
1: females. There's a story of a young woman named Helen. She went to visit Meg Jay who is a, a, a counsellor specializing in 20-somethings and Helen was going through this, what she called an identity crisis Straight after high school, Helen had given up everything. She moved to Indonesia. She worked in a yoga retreat. She was out there seeking inspiration. She didn't know what she wanted to do with her life, so she says, I'm looking for this lightning bolt of intuition. At the time, her friends sort of envied her casual lifestyle because they'd all gone straight to the real world and hit corporate jobs and they wished they could have this fun-loving lifestyle hanging out in Indonesia. But she realized that when she hit her late 20s, the friends that used to envy her were now pitying her. She felt totally lost and she had no idea what to do next. Got another
0: story here of a man named Eric Erickson. So he's a blonde-haired German dude whose father left when he was a baby. On his third birthday, his mother married a local doctor and he was raised in a Jewish tradition. So he felt really out of place. At the temple, he was teased for just being a bit too pale and at school, he was teased for being Jewish. So after high school, he traveled around Europe, vagabonding, sleeping under bridges, looking for inspiration, begging for food, wanted to be an artist. Then later in life, he got his shit together and he wrote a bunch of books and he ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize. So, Eric Erickson here has got a very different story to Helen and he's the one who coined the term identity crisis back in 1950.
1: So, they're two very similar paths up till this point but it was at this critical juncture where Eric's life took a turn. He got his, He got his shit together and went on to do some pretty amazing things. And Meg Jay was telling Helen that it's, it's about these critical things that you do early. So when Eric was 25, he started teaching at a school. When he was 26, he started training. He went back to college to study. He met some influential people. By 29, he'd earned his degree in psychoanalysis. In his 30s, he moved to the USA. He taught at Harvard, Yale, Berkeley. He wrote several books. And so at this time of identity crisis, he actually started doing things. He wasn't just floating around looking for inspiration. He realized... He needed a bit of intentionality about his life.
0: Yeah, you get a little excited when you say that word now as well.
1: <laughs> Frightens me a little bit. That's okay. That's one of, I reckon, probably six or seven that will come during this episode.
0: Yeah, I'll look forward to them. <laughs> so the identity crisis here and then there's two different ways you can react from it all. But the ones who take the time to explore and also had the nerve to make commitments at this time, they're the ones who construct the strong identities that are going to help them going forward. You've got higher self-esteem and more persevering and you're more realistic.
1: So, Helen had been doing the first part of that equation. She'd been exploring and trying to work out what she liked, but she missed out on that second part of the equation, which is taking a few risks, making a few commitments along the way. So, for Eric, he made that commitment where he decided that he wanted to teach and then he decided that he wanted to study, whereas Helen was still floating in in the exploring phase. Ultimately, you need to start somewhere. No one can expect the perfect job straight out of college. Generally, it's probably going to start with a lower level job, something you think that you're going to be interested in. And from there, by actually experimenting and trying things out, that's when you truly start to understand yourself and build a bit of an identity for yourself you know, throwing back to the book range, the true understanding of yourself and your match quality, which he said, it's not from introspecting, it's not from sitting there and thinking, what do I want to do with my life? It's from actually getting out there, making a commitment, maybe in this case, starting a low-level job and trying it out rather than just thinking about it.
0: So after seeing Meg J, this is what Helen did. She went out there, she got an admin job, she was working as an assistant in an office. She was doing a good job, she worked hard, she learned things and developed her skills. And one day... She was lucky that a movie director spent a few weeks working in her office and she likes Helen even though she's working as an admin person. This guy, he liked her work ethic a lot and thought she'd be great as a cinematography assistant and now Helen, she's working in LA on big movies.
1: A few years later, Helen bumped into Meg and she actually had a a couple of interesting things to say. Helen said that I would have never believed it, but not a single person asked me about my GPA or what school I went to. All of those things were out the window once I actually started working and developing a bit of capital and a bit of identity for myself. Helen said that she wished she'd done more during her first few years. She wished she'd pushed herself to take some more risks, develop a wider range of skills, explore a wider range of jobs. And ultimately, she wished she'd experimented more while she was younger and made a few more commitments.
0: Yeah, I really like these ideas of both exploration and commitment. I think a lot of people out there, including myself for, say, 20 to 25, is just all about exploration, right? (laughs) Just going out there, traveling the world, partying, just doing new things and new experiences, which I think has got a lot of utility in itself, right? It's a good Mm. time to do it because you're not carrying some of the weights and the burdens that you do as that are put on you as you get older. But at the same time, if you do it wonderlessly without any medium to long-term commitment, you might just waste your whole 20s and then end up
1: in a very bad situation. I think 20-somethings feel a lot of pressure. that They need to work it all out and they end up thinking about what they want to do with their life. But this thinking is ultimately very unproductive. The quote from the book says, you can't think your way through life. The only way to figure it out is to actually do something.
0: Meg says that 20-somethings are not brain damaged, but their brain isn't fully developed yet. I think some 20-somethings are getting, <laughs> getting brain damaged a lot of weekends. But what she's meaning is that the frontal lobe of the brain is just still in the development phase. In your 20s, you're really pleasure-seeking and your emotional brain is running a lot of the show. As you get older, in your 30s, all of a sudden your forward-thinking frontal lobe develops and that's a lot more of your rationality that comes to the forefront.
1: I know. Um Joe Rogan talks about this a fair bit, doesn't he? About how that young 20-somethings, their frontal lobe isn't fully developed. I didn't realize that um, I was still, until very recently, brain deficient in a Mm. sense. She says that the frontal lobe is the area of the brain that's responsible for f- projecting future consequences from present actions. So it's sort of this mental simulation that we go through. We, we weigh up the the pros and cons of any action that we take and it provides a bit of an override for any socially unacceptable behavior that we're thinking of doing. So that's when you're a fully-fledged adult. Mm. When you're a young adult in your early 20s, oh. you're missing that part.
0: Oh, 100%. You've done some <laughs>
1: stupid shit. I remember once when I was in Morocco,
0: right, and... I was uh, got a donkey up to this top of the mountain where you jump off this 13-meter cliff jump mm. and I knew there was rocks around. So, I thought oh. you always assume that the rocks are the closest to the mountain so you get to jump out really far. <sighs> so, I got to the top of the mountain or the top of the, the jump and then mm. the guy was trying to speak to me and he's like, yeah, just do it. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know what to do, mate. And, you know, there's my emotional brain kicking in yeah. and I thought, fuck it and I just launched off. Oh, off. No. And then the rocks, it turned out, were... Far away from the cliff, not oh, close I said to, to it. jump close. So I jumped on the rocks, and luckily, so it was about shoulder height, and Oof. luckily my momentum forward meant my heels
1: skidded out. Oh, but still, no, but then you would slip backwards, and your head would have
0: no, no. I, I, I was like the right bit. If the force Oof. went through my body, I would have had my back broken and, and died, and everything. Oof. Anyway, I was on a yeah, I was on a stretcher. Had to jump on a donkey to hire a donkey, really, to ride me back through the down the mountains again, and then got onto a an ambulance where they didn't speak any English and, had to bribe the goodness. hospital to x-ray. Anyway, it was just a story oh of goodness. it. it just so many times in your 20s. <laughs> Thinking back then, I'm still in my 20s actually. Still doing i the, just. still doing stupid shit to the same extent. But yeah, you, you, it's hard. You make decisions not based on what's going to come down to 10 or 20 years down the track.
1: Correct. Oh, man, that's too funny. Man, I've actually got a similar one. It didn't happen to me. I don't know if I've done anything that wild, but my brother Nigel did. And it was very, very similar. And we're at a waterfall, went to jump off. Landed on the rocks. So we were in Papua New Guinea, and there was sort of there was like no one around. But then magically, out of nowhere, like twenty locals just came and helped us, carried him back up the waterfall. It was pretty legendary. But mm. yeah, twenty year olds doing stupid shit.
0: I, I used to have this saying, and I think it links in. Uh, let future Adam worry about that,
1: <laughs> which would apply to you as well. Yeah, yeah. But
0: <laughs> early twenties, you'd have a big night or anything like that. You would blow all your cash. Yeah, um, you'd borrow money or whatever, and you think, oh, I'll just let fucking future Adam worry about. Turns out, like future Adam does have to worry about it <laughs> a few years, yeah, <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly.
1: And that's a big issue with the with the 20-somethings is that we're always putting it off till later. We think the 20s is the time for fun, the 30s, that's when we can get serious. We can work our, our life out later. But obviously, it's important to, to get started early. The earlier you can get started and making some serious inroads into some of these things, the better off you're going to be.
0: There's a story here of a French... Spaleologist. Don't know what that is to be
1: honest. I actually had to I had to Google. I, I assumed it was to do with time, but it's uh cave. People studying caves. Oh,
0: that's an interesting profession. <laughs> but the cave researcher went down into a cave, as you'd imagine, and he was isolated from all external sources of light, sound, temperature, to get an understanding of how the human brain understands time without these external signals. So it's basically just guessing how much time elapsed after being underground for about 25 days. And it turns out that he was actually down there for two months. So, he was what? He was off by 60%. Yeah. So, time passed more than twice as fast
1: as he guessed. It's pretty wild. You pop down to a cave, think, oh yeah, I've been down here for three and a bit weeks. You pop up and it's been two months.
0: Mm, you'd hope you got uh, compensated for that research. <laughs> it's pretty tough.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now, basically what he's saying is, you know, where did all that time go? And that's a very uh, specific example where you can't understand time. But very often, you know, we're... We're already in the, the late into the second half of the year, and we're thinking, man, this year's almost over. Where did the time go? Or you're, you're getting close to 30. You're thinking, where will that time go? I've got my 10 year school reunion this year, and I think, man, no way it's been 10 years since I was at high school. But the time just seems to pass by so quickly, and uh, we often think it's going slower than it actually is.
0: So, back in the day, school and uni, they're nicely packaged into terms and semesters and year levels, and the When you enter the real world, it doesn't have these same obvious markers of time. It just keeps going and because of that, it does seem to go faster.
1: We've got a present bias where we discount the future and think mostly about the present. We don't worry about saving for the future because we think we've still got plenty of time to save up. We don't worry about improving our skills. We think we've got plenty of time to get a better job later. But of course, time moves so much quicker than we actually realize.
0: She's got a study here of the impact of virtual reality of seeing yourself in the future and how much you actually put away for your retirement savings. So the first group, they were just going through their day-to-day lives and like everyone, they put away $73 per week but there was a huge difference when they put a virtual reality headset on a group of 25-year-olds and in that virtual reality headset, they saw older versions of themselves going through the future. So, basically, when you've seen that, you've realized that the future is actually coming to you and future Adam and hmm. 20 years from now, Adam, it's actually coming. Hmm. So, because of that, they're a bit more compassionate to that future person and themselves and they ended up putting away $178 a week. So, well, that's two and a half times yeah. in and out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Over and over, we think that we've got infinite time for adulting. We think we can do all the real important stuff later. But bringing a thing like this where you actually see yourself in the future, you realize, actually, it's not that far away and I better start looking after myself now. There was one important story here about uh, a young woman named Rachel. She was a a bartender at a restaurant. She was initially studying public health. She was doing a master's, but she dropped out. She didn't like the field of health research, so she was working at a bar just to fill the time before she decided what to do. She saw all these fancy lawyers coming in their suits for their long lunches, getting drinks, and she thought, man, all these these young professionals, they're actually not that much better than me. They're not that much smarter than me. I could easily do what they're doing. Maybe I should become a lawyer as well. She admitted that she was hating the work in the restaurant, but she went and saw Meg J for a counselling session, and she said, "Hey, I think I want to become a lawyer. All these lawyers—they're not that much better than me. I could do it too." And Meg said, "Look, there's a couple of important differences between you and between them. Even though you're the same age, uh, they have done a couple of things that you haven't done yet. Firstly," They've studied for a couple of years to do the LSAT, the Law School Admissions Test. Secondly, they've gone through a couple of years of law school. Then they've done a whole bunch of important things. They've got some reference letters. They've built their networks. They've put in job applications. They've done interviews. They've done summer internships. So even though Rachel thought it was a, a short row between where she was now and becoming a lawyer, there was all these things along the way that she didn't realize were still ahead of her.
0: So Rachel here, she's 26 years old and she's judging all these people around it. So, she was thinking, all right, I'm going to be a lawyer one day as well but she never really put a timeline to how her future is going to unfold. She said she wanted to start law school before 30, right? So, in the next four years and simultaneously, she said there's no way she wants to work in a bar when she's 30 years old but she never really intentionally, there you go, Ooh, actually, there you go. You got one. put these things together, right? If she's going to go to law school at 30, she's going to be working in a bar not only when she's 30 but probably when she's 35 years old.
1: Yeah, if you've got one year of studying and then three years of law school and then another year to pass the bar, and then you're, you're probably looking for your, th- your first job when you're like thirty six, and then when you're doing the math here that it's taking this long to study, if she's putting off this, you know, Meg was saying, okay, well, is is family something you want to do? Do you want to have? Do you want to have kids? And she says, yeah, I do, but again, that's something for future Rachel to worry about. I can do that later. Well, Meg was saying, okay, well, if you're thinking, you know, if you want to have your first kid. You know, do you want to be studying once you have your first kid or are you going to have it in your first year of work? So either you've got to, you've got to wait until after you're established in your career until you can have a child and, and Rachel says, well, I don't really want to be an older mother. So Meg is saying, look, these timelines aren't adding up. If you're going to put it off and put it off, put off having a family, put off having kids, put off starting your career, put off studying, everything's going to come mm-hmm. crashing at some point in time. You really need to start doing all of these things now. Start getting serious now. She says that having a life in your thirties doesn't mean starting your life in your thirties. It means getting started now so that you can prepare yourself.
0: So she says this defining decade in our twenties, that's this time where we need to create our own sense of time. Don't just let it just whittle away. Be very <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be very intentional yeah. there you go. With how you actually use this time. Because the authority is going to come before you know it and there's going to be these additional obligations that are all going to come rushing in at once and then you're probably not going to have the life that you thought you could have had.
1: David Brooks, a political and cultural commentator said that society is structured to distract people from the decisions that have a huge impact on happiness in order to focus attention on the decisions that have marginal impact on happiness. He's saying that the, the most important decisions that we have to make are things like who we marry. But of course, there's no university course on how to choose a partner. He says we need to go down market to hear about things like marriage being discussed. We have to watch the, the talk shows and the reality TV. There's no upmarket mediums talking about marriage you know, university education, school classes, books, literature. There isn't that much marriage talk. It's just on the the reality TVs like The Bachelor. One hundred percent. I think Big David's
0: on to something here. If you think about our podcast, we've done a couple hundred episodes. Not a hell of a lot of. Are we
1: up market or down market? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're I think we're up market in in a down market sort of a way. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so.
0: But. It is something that it is. It's got huge leverage and impact on your overall happiness and where your life's going to go. But yeah, we just aren't intentional. <laughs> Fuck, I'm using this word more than <laughs> you now about what we're going to be doing with
1: this decision. The decision of what uh your, who your life partner is going to be is intrinsically linked to everything else you do in life. We think that the the school that we choose to go to is such a big decision. But really, it pales in comparison to your romantic partner. Even if you get divorced from this person, you're still probably going to be linked over the long term whether it's financially or having to shuttle the kids back and forth every other weekend. The choice of romantic partner is one of the most important decisions you could ever make.
0: And again, it comes back to this theme of bringing your decisions up front. She thinks that you need to get picky now rather than picky later. And if you start getting picky now, you'll be able to adjust your criteria so the hmm. best terms of pickiness that she's talking about is being picky on the things that are going to matter in ten or twenty or thirty years down the track, not the little picky things now. Where you know, at the bar, the partner does something that annoys you, might do a pop off at the. <laughs> I don't know where my brain went there. That wasn't Corey. It might have been an ex partner. But but picky on things like that. That's not a big deal. It's nah, just a fart in the wind. Think about the things in 20 years' time, right? They're going to be the big ones. Things about like the in-law, the family, are they going to be mm. the, the, the type of family that you want to be entering your life? Uh, financially, how you go with that and all sorts of other factors which we'll get into.
1: Yeah, that's it. We're, we're not being we're not talking about picky in the sense of the, the little things that might annoy you slightly. We're talking about the big picture stuff. And as you mentioned, that you need to have those criteria set now and, and start testing it out because you might need to change your criteria a little bit. There was a story about a young bloke named Eli who was sent by his girlfriend to go and see Meg because the girlfriend said, mate, you need to go and sort your go shit and out. See Meg. <laughs> go yeah. and see Meg. <laughs> uh, Suck, Eli. <laughs> and the, the big problem here was that Uh, the girlfriend thought that Eli was partying too much and Eli thought that the girlfriend was too quiet. She wasn't putting herself out there. She was focusing too much on her uni work. She wasn't meeting new friends. If they went over to his family's place and they're playing board games, she didn't really join in the fun. So they were just very different on these two very important things. And so I guess they they both had to realize, is this something that's vitally important to us? How important is that in the big scheme of things? So the advice from Meg here is that the two need to be
0: in like before they could be in love. So, they had been alike in many ways that mattered and you have to genuinely like the other person mm-hmm. and often these come hand in hand. So, Aristotle says we like people who are like us. So, Sheldini had this as one of his weapons of influence as well, liking.
1: Yeah, we often hear that opposites attract but generally, the opposites attract for those one-off hookups because you want to get a bit of variety. You want to feel as if maybe something you are hoping or wishing that you could be. You see somebody else with those traits and you think, I want a piece of that. But that's generally for the short-term stuff. The longer-term stuff, you need to be more similar rather than more different. We don't need to be exactly alike, but we just can't be polar opposites like Eli and his girlfriend. One was uh, a full party partygoer. One was a full workaholic. They were two different people. Absolutely.
0: So... The simplest and most widely used model of how you are like the other person is the Big Five, which is pretty much everywhere in psychology. But it's something that I'd, yeah hasn't really come up on this podcast. But it is everywhere, yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't believe we haven't done it before. Mm. You see, it you see it come up a lot. The Big Five personality traits spell out the word ocean. It's openness, conscientiousness, extraversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism.
0: So if you look at openness, if you're low in this, it means you're very practical, you're conventional, you prefer routine you're skeptical and rational. If you're high on openness, you're open to new experiences and trying new things, you're intellectually curious, you're creative, you're imaginative, you're adventurous and you're
1: insightful. For conscientiousness, if you're low, you're relaxed about rules and standards, you're easygoing, you're careless, can be spontaneous, can be prone to addiction. If you're high conscientiousness, you're much more disciplined, efficient, organized, responsible, dutiful, self-directed and thorough.
0: The third is extroversion. If you're low on this, you like solitary time, you're shy, you're reserved, you're energized by being alone, you're quiet, independent, cautious and aloof. If you're high in extroversion, it means you're outgoing, enthusiastic, active, novelty-seeking, you get energy from interactions with others and you're very talkative.
1: The fourth is agreeableness. If you're low in agreeableness, it can you can be seen as uncooperative, antagonistic, suspicious. Sometimes you have trouble understanding others. If you're high in agreeableness, you're cooperative, kind, affectionate, friendly, compassionate, trusting, compliant and understanding.
0: And the fifth is neuroticism. And if you're low in this, you're not easily bothered, you're secure, you take things at face value, you're emotionally resilient. And if you're higher in neuroticism, you're tense, you're moody, you're anxious, you're sensitive, you're prone to sadness, you worry a lot and you're quick to see the negative. I don't think… Is, that's not a good one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, so, I think it's like you don't need to like do a, you know, a 300 questionnaire to work out what you are. I think just by hearing some of those, mm. you'll quickly work out where you sort of fall it doesn't matter exactly where you are, but you can get a good taste. Are you sort of low? Are you high? Are you somewhere in the middle? Are you in the middle but tending towards the high end? And you can get a bit of a picture of who you are and who the other people are around you. Yeah, you can't be exactly the same. So, opposites
0: don't necessarily attract to its fullest extent, but you know, a bit of differences here and there are uh, absolutely Okay.
1: Yeah, I was actually. I think I was just watching a Jordan Peterson video, um, and he and he talked about this as well. Not obviously in the the sense of twenty year olds, but he was saying that for relationships, you want to be at similar ends of the spectrum. If you're both on opposite ends of all five things, you're probably not going to get along too well. Hmm. You need a bit of difference so that you can learn to have empathy for other types of people. You can get the benefits of both, but if you're if you're one is full extroversion and one is full introversion, or one is full high openness and one is full low on the openness. That could spell trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: I think the, the big takeaway with this book is to be intentional. Mm. Bring all those decisions up front. Don't just like let future Adam mm. worry about it too much because someday that person's going to come and if you don't do the right things and plant the right seeds early, then, you know, things are going to suck for you uh, in the future. Yeah, exactly.
1: Big quote from Tony Robbins. Um, I don't know. if He probably ripped it off someone else but I attribute it to Tony Robbins. He says that we overestimate what we can do in a year but we underestimate what we could do in a decade. So you, you might think, oh, I can put that off. I can do that later. I can sort out my career later. I can sort out my relationships later. I can get healthy later. But really, if you start now, you'd be amazed at what you could achieve in a decade.
0: I think uh, Tony actually, his three years. I thought it was- Oh, it was the three? Yeah.
1: Tony can long. do a lot of shit though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I'd, I'd back up the three. Like for <laughs> me, going a bit more self-analysis again, I was a big party animal. Drugs, getting locked up for getting naked and doing just <laughs> doing wild kind of shit till twenty five, and I did a big turnaround then. Yeah. And I think things started to turn around for me after about two to three years, uh, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't one year.
1: Yeah, but yeah. it's not necessarily. And I think that's I think that's a, a good takeaway for anyone. Obviously, this this book is specifically targeted towards twenty year olds or 20, 20 somethings, but I think anyone can take that same advice. If you're not exactly where you want to be, you have got to realize start making a few decisions that it's not going to happen instantly overnight, but you'll be surprised at how quickly you can turn things around. Mate, with your 30th birthday this week, is there anything this, you're thinking about changing or doing as a result of this book, thinking that you know your 20s are over, you're entering a new decade?
0: Not really, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Just gonna anything you're going to get intentional about? Keep plugging out? away. Just, yeah, no, nice. just keep plugging away. All right? I, think, I think we've read enough <laughs> books really to... to To learn that, you know, the importance of intentionality. And Mm. I think the big one, which is a more extrapolated version of this, is thinking about your mortality. Mm. So she thinks about she's saying about 30s and 40s. I think for all of us, and this is what books like Seven Habits get into is beginning with the end in mind, Mm. realize that your time on earth is limited. And I think from that perspective, it brings the intentionality and decisions up front. Mm. So in the last moments of your life, you're not going to be looking back in regret.
1: Yeah, very true. Matt, I had one, <clears throat> one specific one from one of the chapters that we didn't touch on, but she was talking about in terms of doing the math. I think I was always thinking family and kids is something I want to do, but I was always thinking I'll do that later. Mm. She was saying like, yeah, you, you think you're busy now. You think you've got a lot on now. You think you've got a lot on your plate. You don't have time for kids. That's not going to get any better. When you're hitting your 30s, you're more advanced in your career. You're going to have a lot more things to do. Mm. So. I don't think the, the advice wasn't go and have kids now, but it's definitely something to not just put off to the future.
0: We're going to have a little ash show running around <laughs> in
1: a little while. Nothing nothing too soon, but uh, I need to get intentional about that. That's yeah, for sure. You'd be a good dad, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate, and happy birthday. How many more years have you got left? Three. Of the kid? No, oh, 20s. Of the 20s. Yeah, two and a half. You got time to two get your shit together. <laughs> I can put that off till later. <laughs> Jones man, happy birthday, mate. Uh, a big happy 30th birthday to the great man, Adam Jones. Uh, I don't know what the 30th birthday is, if that's that you're on the other side of the hill now or if you're at the, the top of the hill making the most of every opportunity or I'm sure uh, you would like to frame that you're still on the way up, uh, which I think is a, is a good way to frame it as well. Mate, it has been an absolute blast the last uh, four and a quarter years or four and a half years we've been doing this podcast, reading books, seeing each other once or twice a week to share our favorite lessons discuss what we liked and didn't like about the book. Sometimes have a few a few wars about what gets into an episode and what doesn't, but then turning those into a podcast episode, sharing that with people and gradually seeing more and more people listening over time. Looking forward to the next four and a half years. Hope it's a great day, mate. Uh, have a special one. 30th, take some time and enjoy that one. And uh, anybody who wants to give the Jones man a little happy birthday on the social media this week, I'm sure he would. Uh, I'm sure he'd love to see those filtering through.